Hello, I'm Philip. And I'm Phoebe. Welcome to Dad. And Daughter Do Death. Hello, Phoebe. Hi, Dad. How are you? I'm all right, yes. So, Phoebe, I believe you may have a story for me tonight. I do. So, tonight, I am going to be talking to you about a case that happened very locally that um, I was very interested in when it happened and felt like the right sort of time to to finally tackle it. Now, we've okay. got some kind of further closure on it so tonight I'm going to be telling you the story about Libby Squire um, ah, right, okay. the University of Hull student who disappeared in January 2019. So Liberty Squire was born on the 1st of January 1998 in High Wycombe, Buckinghamshire to parents Russell and Lisa. She was the eldest of four children. Her siblings were Maisie, Joe, and Beth. She was particularly close to her her mom and her brother. Uh, her mom, Lisa Squire, was a neonatal nurse, and she said that Libby would joke that she was her favourite child, and that she said that they did have a very special bond. Mm-hmm. Libby attended High Wycombe School, where she was very popular and made a good set of friends. She always worked hard, and she was very organised with any homework she was set. Unlike me, I was never very organised in my homework. No, I seem to remember you needing some encouragement sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still have that very same work, work ethic. <laughs> Libby sat her GCSE exams in the summer of 2014 and achieved five A-star grades, two A's and a C. So very good A-levels. She decided to go to college to complete her A-levels, but um, during this time she kind of started to experienced a real decline in her mental health um, she started self-harming and she didn't do as well as predicted achieving two d grades in the u oh, okay um, despite this she decided to embark on going to university and she chose to come to hull as she liked its surroundings and what the university had to offer she'd spoken of a possible career in journalism but she opted to study philosophy and, and hull's quite renowned for its philosophy department okay she decided to take a gap year before starting university and she spent a year in uh, traveling around and for a, a big chunk of her time in Paris. Libby started her university course in September 2017 when she was 19. And despite previous mental health struggles, which had led to her being referred to child and adult mental health services, her parents and her boyfriend Connor said that she was in the best place she'd ever been in and she loved her life in Hull. She enjoyed nights out with her friends. She was quite a big drinker, but she was completely against drugs. Her mum also described her as being a really private person who wasn't into social media like her friends were and would only really use her phone to call her mum or her friends or to stay in touch with people. Her sense of humour was described as being very creative, chatty and funny, stating that she had a wicked sense of humour, but was filled with empathy and also knew how to put people at ease and make everyone feel included. Oh, sounds like a lovely young lady. Yeah. She enjoyed spending time with her friends, going to museums and galleries um, and going on family holidays despite being scared of water. Her mum recalled that when on family holidays, she would not go in a swimming pool or anywhere near the sea. It was only on one of our last family holidays that she stood in the swimming pool at the edge. She was also really scared of the dark and would never take a shortcut home or walk down a street with little light. So in January 2019... Libby returned to Hull after the Christmas break. On the 31st of January, her friends and her got ready for a night out. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. They headed to a friend's house about half past seven, just round the corner from where Libby lived on Wellesley Avenue. And Libby drank a whole bottle of rosé and a vodka and coke. I mean, my kind of pre-drink of choice was like a bottle of Carver from Tesco because <laughs> it was like four ninety nine. <laughs> so you could just drink that whole before a night out. Whole bottle, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, 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 I see that. Yeah, students. <laughs> Then they headed to Welly on Beverly Road. It's a pretty grotty nightclub, but it's it's a very good night out. It's very kind of rocky, a bit grungy. But Thursday is like a big student night there. They got into trouble while I was at Union Hall for selling vodka without any labels on it. So nobody knew what the proof of the alcohol was. Um, And well, it was quite um, (laughs) renowned for its vodka and the strength of its vodka. Um, Where did they get it from? I don't even know, to be honest. Somewhere really dodgy. They might have just brewed it out the back. They might have done it. It tasted like paint strippers. I don't really drink vodka, but it tasted gross. Um, I remember one night out when... I was living with the boys in our last year on Cranbrook and we went to Welly for the night and we came back and Alec just threw up all over the kitchen because <laughs> we've been drinking Welly vodka all night. It was mm. uh, Yeah. Good night out, pretty grim. My, I went for my last night out in Welly in October 2019 when we had that like uni reunion. Okay. Um, it, and it took me about three weeks to recover from it. So uh, <laughs> it's pretty, okay. pretty hardcore night out. <laughs> So her friend said that during that walk to Welly, which is quite a long walk, Wellesley Avenue, where she lived, is the next street along from Beresford Avenue, where I lived in my third year. And Welly is almost in town. So it's quite a long walk down Beverly Road. Yeah. Must be kind of best part of a mile, if not longer, actually, to get there. But it was a really common kind of well-trod walk on a Thursday night around this sort of time that students, because like where Libby lived was like a really busy student area so a lot of students would kind of just just walk down down Beverly Road to get to Welly for opening time so there would have been quite a lot of them walking together um, to yeah. get to Welly and they said that the fresh hair kind of really hit her and she was swaying as she was walking when they got to Welly Libby was refused entry for being too drunk Oh. Which is quite impressive, really. <laughs> I never thought they were too uh, they were that fussy. She wasn't that angry about this, so this is kind of about twenty past eleven ish. So it was it was it was getting on a bit. She wasn't too angry about it, and she told her friends that she'd walk home, but it was freezing and there was snow. It had been a really cold January, and because of this, and because it was so late, her friend said, "No, we'll put you on a taxi. We'll pay for it." So her friends, and again, it's quite a long walk back home. So. um they put her in a taxi, paid the fare for her and sent her on her way. The taxi driver dropped Libby off outside her home on Wellesley Avenue, but she never made it into the front door. Well, there's kind of conflicting things here because some things say she never made it into the house. Yeah. Other things say that her phone was found in the house. So they think that she might have gone in and then gone back out again. But I've, I've struggled to find a definitive answer on that. Right, but okay. um, she never went knows. properly. No, she never like. There was nobody else in the house when she got back. No, it was her housemates that had kind of sent her back from Welly. Yeah, and I don't know if maybe she just left her phone there and hadn't taken it out with her potentially. Um, right, not sure. She wasn't a big phone user anyway, so that would maybe kind of make sense. But she decided she kind of went to the house and then decided that she wasn't. She didn't want to go home for whatever reason. 
whether it's because she couldn't find her keys or she was just feeling really disorientated but she started to walk back onto Beverly Road and she fell over in front of a group of male students they asked if she was all right and she said yeah I'm all right and she just carried on walking she made it to the corner of Wellesley Avenue and outside a house because where this sort of area there's lots and lots of student accommodation but there's also quite a lot of residential houses as well yeah so um she kind of fell over outside a house and the the lady who lived there said that she could hear this this girl crying and sobbing outside so she kind of asked me to come inside and you know see if she needed any help if she was okay and she said that she was disorientated but with no visible injuries and the woman was trying to find out where she lived and to help her out yeah Libby just said oh no I'm all right just let me go and she left that house about half past 11 and then some reports say that Libby's keys on a pink fluffy keyring were found in the garden of that house as they kind of started doing some searches after this pretty much all of Libby's movements are captured on CCTV okay so the CCTV footage then captured Libby walking up Beverly Road where she was spotted by a number of witnesses kind of back towards Welly, all of whom had offered to help her, but to which she refused. The last sighting of her alive was taken just after midnight, just off Hayworth Street. There's like a big pub on the corner, which is the Hayworth Arms, which is kind of like a mock Tudor building. And there's a there's Hayworth Street just next to that. The last sighting of her alive was just kind of by that street, just after midnight, as she got into the front passenger seat of a silver Vauxhall Astra. Okay. When her friends got back from their night out, they realised that Libby wasn't home and they immediately panicked. Her phone was in the house, but there was no other sign of her. They desperately searched the nearby streets for her. As I said, a busy student area. They went to her favourite takeaway and other takeaways around there because there's plenty of them, but no one had seen her. And at half past two in the morning, the police were called. So what started was an intense search to find Libby. Her parents made emotional pleas on TV. Police went door to door in the area trying to figure out if she'd been seen or if people had noticed anything strange. People were urged to check their sheds and outbuildings. The rivers and ponds around the area of Hull she lived in were searched. Appeals were held all over Hull and vigils were held at the university for her safe return. I used to drive past where she was last seen on my way to work pretty much every day. Oh, right. Um, and I remember seeing like all the flowers and the people and the search teams and the rivers because you kind of go through, I say a lot of rivers, but you kind of go over the river hole quite a lot yeah. in that journey. So I remember seeing quite a lot of um, people searching at that point. And obviously people were spreading rumours and sharing things. <laughs> and um, I remember one particular one that I was told at a soft play centre was that a medium had uh, had got in touch with the family to say that she was in a freezer in a storage lockup and that Libby mm. had been in touch with them to say that she was in a in this freezer in this lockup. Mm. But there was no sign of her. The police couldn't find her anywhere. So on the 6th of February, a week after she went missing, police arrested 24-year-old Pavel Relevich. Pavel Relevich grew up in Warsawitsha, a small village between Warsaw and Gdansk in northern Poland, with a population of a little over 600. He moved to Hull in 2012, aged just 18 year, years old, to join his older sister, who'd already settled in Hull. There was then, and there still is now, a very vibrant Polish community in Hull. That's why they, they, they chose to come to Hull, out of everywhere. Right, okay. 
On a trip back to Poland in 2014, he met and married his wife, um, Jagoda, with whom he had two young sons, with his second son only born in October 2018. So he was about three months old when this happened. The family made a comfortable home for themselves in Raglan Street, which is just off Newland Avenue. Again, really quite close to this whole area. It all kind of yep. builds up that kind of student area yep. around the university. His Facebook page before it was removed seemed to portray a proud family man, often posting photos of his children and wife. He also posted a lot of photos of his gym workouts. He spent a lot of time doing kind of martial arts training, and he was a member of one of the clubs in Hull. He worked as a butcher in a meat factory in Malton um, in North Yorkshire, another place I know very well. <laughs> so a lot of my life in Malton recently. That's a long um, way from Hull, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's uh, probably about an hour and a half wow um so yeah it's a, it's a long trip over to Malton from Hull and he'd previously worked at Cranswick which was kind of on the east side of Hull which would have been a lot closer work at Bernay who's working in Malton his mother Marzina said that she was surprised when he got 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 the butcher job in England and he was reluctant to take it but he needed the money to support his family she said right. that he loved to bake cakes and he was a religious boy she said that she had a really good relationship with his wife and throughout their entire relationship his wife had never raised any concerns at all about him he seemed like a really friendly guy and was described as being always cheerful and was popular in his local Polish community described as always smiling however he had a very dark and disturbing secret he'd been described as a sexual deviant his first girlfriend had dumped him when he was 14 because of his addiction to hardcore pornography. And obviously it doesn't mean that someone who watches hardcore pornography is going to kind of go on to do other things, but it does tend to kind of desensitise people to it and see women more as kind of objects. So he develops a bit of a habit of night stalking. His wife and his very young children were at home and he started prowling the streets. It was a small area, but a very busy populated area around yeah. the kind of Newland Avenue area. It was very dense populated with students and a lot of Polish people as well. On the 23rd of July, 2017, a student was in bed with her boyfriend when she realised that the light had changed in the room. And she looked up and she saw Relevich's head pushed through the window and also the curtains watching them. What? The boyfriend jumped out of bed and he ran away, the, and Relevich ran away. When their housemate came home, she found a used condom and a pair of pants hanging off the front door handle. People think now that that probably wasn't the first thing that he's done. Sexual predators don't kind of start at that sort of level. They work up to it. Yeah, yeah. So he must have been kind of escalating this behaviour over a amount of time. The next day they realised that a set of house keys was missing, but oh. nothing else was kind of missing from there. The police were able to lift some fingerprints, but they didn't find a match to anybody on their database. Um, on the 8th of December, a, a different person came home into a different house and found that their window was open. She then realised that she'd been burgled, but the only things that were taken were some sex toys from the bottom of her wardrobe. He was generally stealing things like kind of underwear and sex-related items, not money or expensive things. His motive was always very sexually motivated. And this continued with several reports of him being seen by young women watching them having sex. 
By January 2019, he'd moved on from just voyeurism and Mm. watching things and kind of stealing pants and weird things like that. Um, And he was reported twice um, masturbating in front of women in the street. Hmm. Police had DNA and fingerprints from from whoever this person was, but nothing else. They didn't know who he was. And his crimes were escalating. He was finding that he just wasn't being satisfied and how he would have liked so he was kind of getting worse and worse um, less than a month later a woman woke up to find relevich in her house staring through the glass panels of her bedroom door and they found kind of a, an unwrapped used condom next to some pants that had been taken out of the laundry basket kind of positioned in their kitchen so it was all just getting kind of Creepy. weirder and weirder and weirder yeah relevich was arrested on the 6th of february after police traced the registration number of the Vauxhall Astra car that Libby had last seen, was yeah. last seen getting into, back to him. And then when they looked back at CCTV, they saw him at about 11.50 parking up on Hayworth Street and then tracking Libby from the other side of the road. And there was a video that I saw, I was trying to get a copy of it. And you can see they'd kind of like highlighted her and him. And oh, you could yeah. see literally he was kind of like like following her. She was like pacing up and down the road. It's very creepy. So Hayward Street isn't far from where he was living then? No, not really. It's kind of around the corner. Yeah, yeah. kind of just off in the down cutting a road and background. So yeah, not far. He then offered Libby a lift in his Vauxhall Astra and she accepted. At 10 past midnight, CCTV captures Relevich's car entering Oak Road playing field, which is at the end of Beresford Avenue. So if you kind of go all the way down Beresford Avenue, there's this massive playing field where the River Hull kind of runs along the back of it. Right. At 14 minutes past 12, a man who lived nearby, hears screams from a woman in the park. But this wasn't completely unusual to hear women screaming um, or, you know, people screaming and making noise and stuff like that it was a thursday it was a big student night a big student area the man didn't think a huge amount of it at 20 past 12 cctv captured relevich driving out of oak road and back to his house right Hmm. we know now that when he got home he had a bath and watched some pornography on his phone and then he got out of the bath got dressed again and then drove back to oak road about two hours after the screams were heard. And he was there for about four minutes before he kind of went back home again. So he, he went home. Yeah. About, was it 20 past 12? 20 past 12. Had a bath. Had a bath. About two and hours then, later, he went back. About to half past two. About half past two in the morning, he went back. He went back to the back play, to Oak Grove. playing fields. Yeah. Yeah. But um, only for a few there minutes. For about, about four wow. minutes. And then... Okay. Went home again. So when the police arrested him and confronted him with the CCTV evidence they'd pulled together, he initially denied being anywhere near the area. But then he started to amend his story, saying that, oh, yeah, he did actually offer her a lift because he was concerned about her and was trying to be a good Samaritan. Then he changed it again to say that when she got in the car, she took her pants off and threw them at him and they had consensual sex on the playing fields in the snow, which sounds ridiculous. Um, mm. And then she got up and walked away. He said that the last time he saw her, she was just walking away. 
So after their consensual sex, he'd gone home. Then he decided to go back two hours later to see if he could find her, to check she was all right, that nothing had happened to her. When they arrested him, or when they kind of took him for questioning, they immediately seized his car because they had this kind of video evidence that Libby had been in his car. And they began searching it. And in the boot, they found this pink holdall, which was full of um, odd women's pants, vibrators and condoms. It was the discovery of this that led the police to investigate his actions further and made them realise that he was the person behind the public indecency and burglaries that had been kind of terrorising right, okay. the Avenue area. So that enabled them to arrest him for something else and to yeah. keep him kind of in custody. He was charged for a series of sexually motivated offences, but continued to deny having anything to do with Libby's disappearance saying that he was out driving so late, just looking for easy sex, just somebody who'd be like wandering around who wanted to sleep with him. At this point, Libby still hadn't been found, so they weren't sure what he'd done, but they just knew that he was the last person to see Libby alive. On the 15th of February, so two weeks after she'd gone missing, police held another press conference um, where lead detective admitted that whilst they remained optimistic... As she'd been missing for 14 days, they were starting to believe that it was very likely that she'd come to some sort of harm. Yeah. The police started pulling together a very convincing case against Relevich, pouring over thousands of hours of CCTV, piecing together his movements, trying to demonstrate that he wasn't a good Samaritan who'd just given Libby a lift. He was a serial sex offender who'd taken Libby against her will. And then on the 20th of March, 2019... Libby's body was found floating in the River Humber estuary at Sperm Point, not far from Grimsby Docks. And it's that kind of last bit where Sperm Point drops right round and the other, the kind of south bank is is really close together. So it's a real kind of pinch point just before um, it goes out into the sea. They were so lucky that they found her because, you know, if it had been much longer, she'd have been out into the sea and then they'd have never found her. And whilst it was horrific that she was confirmed to be dead and that her body had been found, her family did get some sort of closure to know kind of yes. what had happened to her. Libby's body was formally identified by her fingerprints, but a cause of death was never fully established, mostly because she'd been in the water for seven weeks and um, she was really quite decomposed by the time they found her. They did find some bruising on her neck and on her arms that they think is consistent with her being kind of grabbed and strangled. Okay. Um, But it was difficult for them to kind of completely say what had happened. They also weren't completely able to figure out whether she'd gone into the water alive or whether she was dead when she went into the water because, again, because of the kind of decomposition of her body. The post-mortem did reveal, however, one very important piece of evidence, and that was the presence of Relevich's semen in Libby's body, okay. proving that wow. he had been with her and sex had taken place. And it's pretty phenomenal that, that evidence still existed Survived. Yeah. after seven weeks of her in being in water. water. Toxicology tests also found that her blood alcohol level was 198 milligrams, which is about two and a half times the legal drink drive limit. So... She was pretty drunk and she would not have been in a fit state to defend herself. 
or to kind of really make any sort of rational decisions. Right. On the 12th of August, 2019, Pavel Radovich was charged with four counts of voyeurism, two counts of outraging public decency, and one count of burglary. He continued to deny any involvement in Libby's disappearance, and he was sentenced to eight and a half years in jail for these sexual crimes. This was later reduced by appeal to five years and eight months. On the 24th of October 2019, he was formally charged with the rape and murder of Libby Squire. It had taken a long time to formally charge him, as it had taken this long to kind of pull together enough evidence, because they didn't really have a lot of solid evidence to kind of prove that he had raped and murdered her. Um, Yes, there was the presence of his semen, and yes, she was found in the water. It could have been consensual, yeah. So they were kind of pulling together as much evidence as they could. The police really took the time building their case so that by the time the trial came through, there was almost no way you could doubt his involvement. Due to COVID, his trial was delayed. So that didn't start until January 2021 in the end. The defence really exploited the timeline of the case, saying that, you know, that really narrow time period in which he had to commit the rape and murder, he just had seven minutes and 33 seconds which they knew from the CCTV footage. Yep. And that wasn't a huge amount of time to kind of get her out of the car, rape her, take her 530 metres across the playing field to the river, kill her, dump her in the river, get back in his car in the pitch black snowy weather, which is fair. It's it's a good (laughs) defence. It was a tight window. It was. he was more than capable of doing that. He was a fit young man. He was kind of in such a sexually elevated state that that probably didn't take very long to do that bit <laughs> and the rest of it he probably could have done quite quickly as well so the the kind of part that the prosecution argued against that is that well we, we know that he went back for that kind of other four minutes later that night so he could have disposed of her body then he might have left her somewhere then he might have taken used that time to kind of move her body on the 11th so of February, would, would would he have had to walk them from the car where where he could have left the car to the yes yeah, so there's a Yes, there's a car park, mm-hmm. but then the river's about 500 metres away. Across fields. Across fields, yeah. yeah. There's no evidence that he'd driven across the fields or perhaps it even wasn't even possible to drive across the fields. I, I don't know. I don't think he can. The last time I was there, there's lots of bollards up and stuff to okay. kind of stop yeah, you from enough. getting onto the field. So um, I think that, yeah, you tend to walk it. It wasn't close, but it wasn't like a really long way. And I guess if he was kind of pumped full of adrenaline. Yeah. On the 11th of February 2021, after five days of deliberation, uh, Pavel Relevich was found guilty of the rape and murder of Libby Squire, and he showed absolutely no remorse at all. He was sentenced to a minimum of 27 years in prison. Quite a lengthy prison sentence for a case such as this, but he's never appealed it and has accepted it. I mean, the police are convinced that if he hadn't have had this encounter with Libby or if he hadn't have found her body or he'd been a bit savvier with his hiding of evidence that he'd have mm-hmm. just carried on to kind of rape and kill again because his crimes had just escalated to such a point yeah. where that was the only place that he was getting that he was able to kind of get his kicks from for want of a better term expression yeah Libby's mum Lisa has gone on to be very vocal about a number of issues around her daughter's death She had a very candid interview last year after the murder of Sarah Everard, where she talked 
openly about the fact that um, she's left her bedroom at home, exactly how Libby have it, had it, saying that she goes in there to meditate a couple of times a week and she goes in and says good morning and good night to Libby every day. She also said that at the age of two, Libby had been painting in the garden and was pouring water over herself and covering herself in more paint when I had this strong feeling that she wouldn't be on this earth for very long. It was like somebody put a red flag out of warning. And then we went to her great-grand's funeral when she was four, and Libby Mm -hmm. asked, will you wear a black dress to my funeral, Mummy? I told her I wouldn't be at the funeral, and she insisted I would be. Wow. And then kind of commenting on the fact that they'd found Relevich's DNA in her, Lisa had said, my clever girl, she held on to that DNA for weeks. Maybe Libby's purpose on this earth was to hold on to that DNA and put that man behind bars so he couldn't hurt more women. She also talks about kind of when she went to visit Libby. Um, yeah. And she was told that she could only see her under the sheet because of kind of how badly decomposed she was. And she went to the mortuary and she was under a purple cover. And um, my first thought was she hates purple. I was able to touch her, but I couldn't see her and I wanted to hold her. And she insisted on Libby's body being uncovered, but the police showed her photos to start with so she could kind of see kind of what sort of state she was in. And she said, it didn't matter what she looked like. She was still my Libby, my little girl. I was able to hold to see her a second time when she came home at the funeral parlour. I held her head. She had such a perfectly round head as a baby and still had that lovely shape. She's also been really vocal about changing laws around sex offenders and spiking she was in the news recently asking to meet with Pavel Relevich face to face to ask him why he killed Libby um, and to get the details that she feels that she hasn't got from the court case and she says that she needs to know exactly how she died and where he did it and why he did it for her own closure I think so um, yeah she um, especially kind of after the Sarah Everard case as well she's done quite a lot of speaking out against yeah. various things so okay. yeah but that is the um sad and worrying story of Libby Squire I mean there was definitely mm. a real scared kind of feeling around the time that she went missing which must have given Pavel Relevich such a thrill to sure. think that he had this control over a city worth of women basically thinking who's next you know what's going to happen next he wasn't around for much longer, was he, after no. uh, no. that incident? And presumably there were no serious crimes attributed to him between Libby's murder and him being apprehended. No, it was only I mean, a couple it all of weeks, wasn't quickly. it, really? It was yeah. six days, so oh, well. it all happened quite quickly. And I think, in I know we've said before around kind of police messing stuff up, but I think in this case, mm-hmm. the police did a really good job of working out what yeah. had happened really quite quickly. I think it was the fact that they didn't have a body that kind of stalled them. Yeah. But as soon as they found her, well, as soon as they kind of found that CCTV, they were pretty confident that he was involved. I remember at the time talking to somebody whose brother-in-law worked in the police and they were like, we know that he's involved, but we just can't quite find the evidence to pin on him. Like they were just trying to find anything. Right. Um. To, to pin on him and there was a lot of the searches were taking place trying to find like any sort of kind of artifacts from her so like any of her clothes or like necklaces or anything like that that they could somehow link back to him and things like that and I remember there was this rumor going around that he'd taken her because very quickly people kind of assumed it was him 
that he'd taken her to the meat factory that he'd worked in and that he had kind of processed yeah. her yeah yeah um <laughs> well that wasn't that was, the case though was it that so, wasn't the case no they found her she wasn't was in good. a freezer in a lockup she wasn't no. in a freezer in a lockup no but my mind is still yeah. blown that a they found her and b yeah. just like what a long way her body had traveled like uh, she'd gone from yeah. kind of the center of hull like or well kind of the east side of hull almost all the way through the center essentially and the amount of opportunities there would have been to kind of see her body and but no one did. And she would have literally kind of been put into the Humber, like by the deep. Mm-hmm. So it, you're really public areas, like the centre of town is where yep. the hall kind of meets the Humber from, Humber. from that yeah. part of the river. So it just blows my mind that she was, that she travelled that far, like, which makes me think that, and especially that they found her and that she was so well preserved relatively for being kind of, seven weeks in water that had she been like kind of kept somewhere mm-hmm. and then moved but he was in custody quite quickly wasn't he so yeah it couldn't not, have been but... him then no what was what was the clinching piece of evidence or, or what was it that convinced the jury that it was him that had done it I think the combination of the CCTV and the kind of timeline the fact that his semen was in her and that he'd been at Oak Road and there was nobody else that had kind of been seen with her after she disappeared. Yeah, there was CCTV, CCTV at Oak Road as well. So they kind of saw them going in and out of Oak Road. So, yeah, I think but I, I feel desperately for for her mother. Yeah. And for her siblings. Yeah. I mean, she's got three yeah. brothers and sisters. I mean, how, how are they affected by this? And how are they affected by by her mother's grief? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's obvious that it's kind of all-consuming for oh yeah her mother, and I mean, what a horrific thing to take place. But well, yeah, a sad story and one that yeah, you you know the area so well, and the place. No, it felt like we were kind of like living to... through it yeah. almost because we were going through that area all the time, like That's even fine. when it was happening. Yeah. We were still kind of... And you're familiar with the places. You too were a student at Hull University. I too have had drunk nights in Welly. It was... uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was... uh, Yeah. Hopefully he's a a one-off and there aren't... Yeah. Others. Yeah, fingers crossed. Similar intentions. um, Yeah. I feel desperately sorry for, for her parents. And everybody that, that knew her, and it's just an awful thing. And you're absolutely right. The fact that they found her body at all yeah, is, is quite remarkable. Yeah. Uh, and it's really good that they did find her. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, you know, it's awful that she was dead, but the fact that they, they managed to get that closure yeah. was, uh, yeah. So that is the story of Libby Squire. Yeah. Well, thank you for, for telling that to me. I mean, I'm familiar with the story because it's fairly recent, but thank you for the detail because I wasn't aware of, of that. And, yeah, I realise that I know <laughs> some of the roads that are involved. Is, uh, yeah. That's where you lived. Yeah. For at least yeah. one of the years. Oak Road was about 10 yeah. houses down from where I lived. We used to go there and just, like, lie on the grass in the summer and mm. boys would play football and that sort of thing and... 
yeah well thank you again for that phoebe no you're welcome i will share some photos um and maybe some bits of video on our social media pages on instagram at dad and daughter do death on facebook dad and daughter do death and if you want to get in touch with us to discuss this case or any of the other previous cases we've covered you can always email us dad and daughter do death at gmail.com or you can always message us through facebook or instagram yep and uh, thank you to sean for getting in touch with a suggestion for a, a future case so uh yeah got some uh some content say so thanks sean so before we leave you this time we just want to tell you all that we're going to be having a little break yeah we are having a little pause for a few weeks as i'm sure most of you will know um but i am having a baby so we want to be a bit little little bit less murdery in the in the run-up <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. as soon as the baby is here we will uh crack back on with plenty more murderous stories <laughs> <laughs> a little pause to welcome some little boars into the yes. world <laughs> <laughs> well good luck with that phoebe i look forward Thanks. to <laughs> look i'm forward sure I'll, to i'm sure i'll let you know what happens <laughs> do you think you will that'd be nice yes yeah. <laughs> thank you <laughs> so hopefully it won't be too long before once again you can join us when dad and daughter do death